got some amplification today. Hope everybody's doing well. Welcome back to our class on 1 Samuel. Welcome to everybody here in the flesh and to all you out there in cyberspace. We're glad you're with us as well. Hope you're enjoying the class. I know I am. Do a little review. The, the two questions I've got this morning are a little bit different than the ones we've had in the past. These are more thought questions. And I realize with a thought question, I'm asking for speculation. And it's, it's not the speculation so much I'm aiming for. It's, it's the thought process of just seeing the scriptures in every way we possibly can in case there's something... Some rich, <clears throat> some rich nugget of, of wisdom or insight that we, we could miss if we just looked at it otherwise. So get to the question. Why do you suppose God tells us of Samuel's personal history instead of just starting with, there once was a man named Samuel? I mean, you think about it, that's how the book could have started. Once there was a man named Samuel, and this is what God did through him, this is what God did with him. He was a prophet and a judge and, and on we could go. So so what possible reason could God have for starting us off with the story of his mom and dad and their family situation and and what led up to him coming into the world? Any any thoughts on that? Any ideas? You ever wondered about anything that way? Problems in life that we have, way of life, working, things like that. And God called him to use him for a specific purpose. Right. I'm going to think every answer is a good answer because I don't know. It doesn't say. There's a hand in the back. About that thing is that it shows how God worked through his entire life. His mom and and his life of service and dedication started before he was even born. Paul. He was also set for a particular writing style. Uh, it seems like God has allowed some uh, differences in writing style from, from the authors that he chose to write. You know, uh, Luke was a physician or he allows some, you know, some variation between the writers, allows them to write in their own style. Maybe this is just the way the writer, you know, kind of thought. Right. Never thought about that idea, because this this is a book of history. And I was just talking to a, a young person within the last two weeks, I'd say, and they were talking about how much they hated history. And I said, "Well, you're one of those people that's going to repeat it then, because." <laughs> But, but that's the way we look at history sometimes. It's just a bunch of facts and numbers and dates, and, and there's no relevance to it. And I, I wish sometimes I could be a history teacher so I could help people to see there's a lot more to history than just remembering facts and stuff. Bob? Samuel in particular shows us that even then families could be really messed up. Okay. Okay. Because you know, your two wives, one hated the other. One was barren, one wasn't, and so there was a, a huge family dynamic going on there. Right. And yet, through all that tribulation and everything else that Hannah went through, she was faithful to God. She remained 
praying to God and God blessed her in ways that the other wife could never have imagined. Right. So you're saying uh, Hannah's marriage relationship and family and, and Elkanah, that, that was all unique because there weren't any other families in the, in the Old Testament that were messed up. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, it's part of our, our station in life. That's not the right way to say it. It's part of our um, circumstance to take comfort in the misery of others, not because we're mean and ugly and hateful, but because we see, oh, they, they have the same problems we have, and they do the same dumb things we do, and, and people are the same even if you go back 3,000 years. It doesn't really matter. We're, we're all alike. There's a, there's a great comfort to me in that. Preston? We had it. When we lived in Stillwater, uh, our youngest daughter, Haley, went to that. They went to Japan to do the Let's Start Talking. They used the Bible to teach. Right. And the, the impact that that had on that young lady was just unbelievable. I've never seen anybody come back on fire like she was. I mean, she talked for like three hours straight a day. And just all the blessings, all the things that was God, God's hand. There was no doubt. <clears throat> but the thing that reminds me of what you're talking about now, about Samuel and his mom, how she promised God that I'll lend him to, you know, and all that. And then the story was... She made friends with these two girls, and when she got married, they came from Japan wow. to her wedding. And one of the things that they said that really kind of caught me off guard was, I want to meet your parents. She said, why do you want to meet my parents? Because they raised you. Mm-hmm. And, and it made me think about the impact we have on parents and our children and dedication of dedicating our lives to God or the mother, like, you know, Jesus' mother. You have, you have found favor with God. Use me, I'm your servant. And that type of uh, impact. And that type of impact, I think, can be seen with Samuel. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's just different, but it's somewhat the same. Right. So it, it makes me think about that statement. I would like to meet Samuel's mom and dad, you know. It's just because of the impact, and then, of course, God, God's hand in all of us. You remind me of something I found very advantageous as a young man in, in the area where I grew up. If I met somebody new who was older, I could tell them, well, I'm, I'm Julia Kessler's son. And that immediately gave me status. They didn't know who I was, but they knew who Julia Kessler was because she worked at a, at a store down in downtown downtown Madison, West Virginia, we had one main street, and it was a one-way street. You, anyway, had to back up to let people get out of the parking lot. Anyway, a small little town, so everybody knew who Julia Kessler was, and they knew what a wonderful lady she was. And so when I told them, oh, I'm her son, wow, you're Julia Kessler's boy. It, it's that kind of a thing. It's, it's a relation. So I, I look at the first few chapters, and one of the things that's priceless to me is what Hannah said about her prayer. What did she say? How did she describe her prayer? I poured out my soul to the Lord. And to me, that's the best definition. I just can't find a better definition of prayer than what Hannah described there. Poured out my soul to the Lord. 
Any other ideas, any thoughts? All right. I just thought we'd, uh, we'd consider that as we got started this morning. Here's another thought question. Was the worship of God different in Samuel's day? And, I, and I'm not necessarily meaning according to the covenant, how was it different that way? But, but that is included as well. It's just, I, that's an obvious given. But was it any different in Samuel's day? If so, how was it different? And how was it similar to worship today? Any ideas about either of those things? Is there a hand? I see a hand. Yes. Here. Uh, isn't the word worship for him and the word worship of the New Testament for us two different words? The idea is to prostrate yourself before God. Uh, proskuno is, is Greek. I don't remember what the one is in Hebrew, but I remember there's a similarity there. I've heard of the before, and I know one of them means the New Testament version means like a, a service, service of worship, like in Romans 12. And there's the Old Testament, it's more of a bow down and get praise directly to. Right. So I guess that's how I see them as different. There's also, because sometimes words, if you look at the literal meaning of a word, it's different from its, its actual usage, like, well, like worship. The English word worship is not an exact translation of anything. The English word worship, anybody know the background? From the Old English, worth, you see, worth, ship, worth, ship. You, you worship those things that have that status of being worthy of, of worship. And worship wasn't even a word until the worthy idea came into it. So that's the idea. And you read in Hebrews, was it, was it Isaac? Remember how Isaac worshipped? Or was it Jacob? He worshipped leaning on his staff. So the idea of, of prostrating yourself before God or, or laying yourself down before God is not always literal, but in that case, you see him laying down his heart. How many times do we pray, uh, Lord, we, we bow before you, um, and we don't really bow. We might be standing as we pray. But in our hearts we bow, in our minds we bow, in our spirit we bow. We submit ourselves and subject ourselves to God. So, so we've got this idea of subjection, and that's what worship was is really all about. Don? The question of worship is our idea when when they were together and when we are together, or is it their whole lives? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I know that's that's Sure, I'm getting there. I can walk out there and think anything we want. 
like to, especially if we've looked at it that way, to a set of rules where we know when we walk out there we don't do very good. So our worship is also, when you say, pour out your hearts to God, that's when we're confessing our sins. That's when we're walking in God's lights and statutes. Even Christ's law, if you want to see, you know, we hold ourselves up to Christ's law, like, wow, we fall, we fall miserably short. So our worship is also confessing our sins, asking for, uh, please sanctify us fully, holy, so that our whole spirit and soul and body are preserved, blameless on the day of the Lord's return. So whenever I hear worship anymore, I don't look at it as just here. Right, exactly. I see, I see uh, the testifiers when they use worship, they use your whole life. But when they say gather together, they say gather together. When you come together as a church, when you don't forsake the assembling of the saints. When you are gathered together as a church, speaking tongues this way, you know, and the so when they talk about the gathering, firmly in the New Testament, they say, gather together. Right. And when they talk about worship, they say, worship it was your whole life. <coughs> anyway, that said, worship to them, they only came together once a year. Right. We come together once a week. And so that, that's a little different. Well, they actually had three feasts, so, so they had three times a year. They put me at the as a designated place. But that's the, your your point is is well made and and well taken. I'm also thinking not just about the the technical aspects of of what they would do in order to worship or or the gathering or the the, the individual worship, but the context when. When you live in a place, have you have you read about a few wars? Just a few wars, and who were they fighting against? Everybody, and who was out to get them? Everybody. So, if if you're in a context of life where you could have good reason to be afraid, you might want to call on God. And I remember reading somewhere that as long as there are tests in school, there will be prayer as well. So I know I got a couple of hands, Bob and, and then John. Uh, in, in the Old Testament, there was a good opportunity to have immediate feedback for worshiping incorrectly. Good. You know, I'm thinking of Cain, of course, Samuel and Saul, Nadab and Abraham. <coughs> You know, just several times that immediately, you know, the individual was chastised for the, you know, incorrect worship. But I think we're tied together both then under that covenant and under this covenant in the fact of, and you, you speak on it so well, the holy and the profane. You know, it, you know regardless of which covenant we, we're under, we have to look for the holy and the profane. We, we don't get feedback right now, right. you know, because we're under grace. I, I believe it's, it's well on that, and the Lord isn't as active you know, since we have the written word. Yeah, we got a whole book of feedback. Right? Got, a, got a whole book of feedback yeah. for us we just got to pay attention to. But, but back then they didn't have that book, and so they received, you know, sometimes immediate uh, and, and very stern feedback. Right. I don't know how many of you hear that, but Bob talking about the fact that historically uh, <coughs> we see them often getting immediate feedback to their worship, like Cain and Abel, and then they'd have Abihu, and there were others. Of course, Uzzah would come later when he would touch the ark and die. But, but, but there's that aspect. John and then Kendall. 
Uh, while they are very different, they require the same things from people. Uh, purpose, intention, uh, you can't worship. We can't worship without being intentional about it. Uh, they both require sacrifice. Uh, it costs you something. Obviously, it doesn't cost us an animal, but it costs us to worship God. It costs, uh, it requires uh, commitment. I mean, all it, it requires humility. Uh, it, there's a lot of attitudes that are the same. So while they're very different uh, for an individual, but the heart of it is, is still the same. Okay. Yeah. Huh? How would you like, uh, at least once a year, you had three opportunities, you had to, to walk to Clinton, take your family, and take your offering and, and walk to Clinton or ride a donkey to Clinton. That, that's what the Israelites faced. Uh, interesting that, that that was a requirement. Kendall? Yeah, I, you know, just thinking of what Don said, I don't think we can, I mean, I think what he said was important for us, uh, just listening to him, talking about what our worship is. And our you know, Romans 12 says it's our service of you. That's the term worship. And I don't think we can, we got that word worship that we use, so just thinking about what he said, sometimes we can call this, we're going to start our worship service. Well, which, which is probably something as Christians we should be careful with what kind of words we use when we say that because what people are doing teaching Bible class, what people are doing that is their worship, so when we come into an auditorium and we say we're going to start our worship, may not be the right word to use, thinking of what Don was saying, so I think words are important and I don't know if what we call worship in our assembly isn't, is part of worship but we have to be careful with the words we use um, sometimes right. to represent what we're doing. If you go back to uh, to Genesis, there's a there's a point here where I think Abraham he doesn't necessarily illustrate it for us, but but something that he says helps illustrate it. <clears throat> Excuse me, I think it's chapter 22 where he is uh, about to offer up Isaac. Yeah, here we go. Uh, Genesis 22. Verse, uh, verses 4 and 5. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance, the place where he was going to go and offer Isaac. And Abraham said to his young men, Be here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. So here's this idea of we're not worshiping now, although who had more of a mind towards God than Abraham all the time? He was... He was God's friend. He was always thinking about God and honoring God with his life and I'm sure with his words and everything that Abraham did. He tried to honor God. And yet, he says, we're going to go up there and we're going to worship. So there is a distinction between what we do when we sit down together to, as a body, worship the Lord. But at the same time, what are we but hypocrites if we think, that's the end of it when the closing prayer said. The, the spirit, the mind. When Jesus was talking to that woman at the well, you remember what he told her? God is looking for those who will worship him. How? When they come into the church building, I think is what he said. Oh, oh, that's right. Spirit and truth, that's what it was. That speaks to this very idea, and yet... There, there is a time when we're worshiping and when we're not. Because if, if when I am 
sitting at a computer playing solitaire is worship. Hmm. I, you know, now, now, you know, I used to think when, for, when computers first came out, because I was alive when computers first came out. <laughs> and I remember a guy who had one, he showed it to me. I didn't have one, of course, and, and, he, and he said, look, you can play solitaire on this. And I thought, well, how stupid is that? You've got this machine, this, this technologically advanced marvel, and what are you, you're playing solitaire, electronic solitaire. How stupid is that? And then I just told you, well, I, I play solitaire sometimes. <laughs> it's, it's just the way things are. So there is this idea of constantly offering ourselves up to God, but there is also the technical aspect of, of actually doing something that the scripture prescribes as, as worship. So uh, we got to get our minds wrapped around that and, and hold on to both ideas, I think, rather than either or. Kendall? Yeah, I guess my question is looking, reading through the, the epistles and, and the letters, letters to the church, I don't know if they have actually used the term worship when they gather. I have to go back and look at that. But it's good. It's a much good thing to look at. Like you said, we gotta got to get our minds wrapped around both. But that said, I, I haven't ever found it. I've looked for it. The only time I see worship is used is in 12-1, 12, 12 and the rest of the times it's when they gather together. But I think that I don't, I don't want to delineate from one or the other because I do believe the gathering together to worship together as a church is is uh, is worship as well, and so when we say it, I don't have a problem with it. But like Kendall was saying, sometimes I think we can start confining it to just here. And, but I like that analogy you use because sometimes I get to feeling guilty if I play solitaire or something. You know, <laughs> is this okay? You know, I really don't know. You know, so it's, it's 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 yeah, I know, I know. I mean, that's just stuff like pull myself out to the Lord. You know? <laughs> I'm concerned about something. I just say, "Well, here I am. You know, here's where, right. here's who I am. But fix me if you can. You know, sometimes I, I don't. I hope that's okay to say to Wish you, you used that phrase. What did Eli tell Samuel when Samuel was a little boy and he came and said, "Did you call for me?" And remember how that worked out. And he came in three times. And what did Eli tell him the third time? Said, when you hear that voice again, you say, here am I, your, your servant's listening, that's, I'm open to whatever you have to say. That's, that's the idea, that's the spirit. There's, there's just some, some good stuff in here that I, I don't want us to pass over, and yet uh, there's no way in the world we can get it all out of here. Uh, it's just, it's too rich, there's too much. But anyway, yes? On the Abraham and Isaac there, when it, the form of worship he's talking about there is a sacrifice. He's going to sacrifice his son. What do we sacrifice before God today? We have to compare the two. You know, we're, we're not giving up our life dying for it. We should. You know, we bow humbly before God. You said earlier in prayer, we say, bow your head. That is a form of humility. Realize that we can't even stand in the presence of God. But yet, we sacrifice or give of ourselves worship him, realizing all things come from him. Abraham here said, and Isaac too said, where's, where's the sacrifice, Father? And then, of course, the, the party bush, the goat, and all that was there provided. And God realized that Abraham would do what he said at all costs. 
Right. Sometimes we have to think about that too. Are we going to do what God tells us to do at all costs? Are we going to stand up for the truth? Are we going to preach the word? Yeah, just, just that word cost throws in there. Because he was going up to offer Isaac in that particular instance, but what did it cost him so far before he even got up to the mountain? And, and let's just let's just make a quick little list. Not, not trying to pat ourselves in the back, but just trying to get some kind of a realization of, of the practical aspect of our lives in Christ. What do we sacrifice for God? Anything? Name, name something. Our time. our time. We sacrifice our time. Very good. What else? Our activities. Our activities and, and that's a good point. I like it. How... <clears throat> Let's elaborate on that a little bit. How do we sacrifice our activities? And, and you see the world around you, and you have not become a Christian. But yet, I was, fortunately, I was raised in the church. So I was around people that had that mindset that eventually I, I agreed to follow. And you see all the wrecks around you. The drinking, whatever, the smoking, the just the things waiting to happen. People wind up going to wind up going to jail. You just you don't know if that's going to happen to you or not. You just don't know. But you don't want to go down that road because you don't want to have to have that happen. So you start to adopt what is correct so that you can avoid. Okay, that's a good way to elaborate. So we've got time and we've got our activities. Another hand in the back. Mentioned activities as well. You know, children, same thing. I have, I have small children. They're, they're in activities, um, taekwondo and soccer and things like that. Sometimes games fall on um, uh, services or, or youth group activities, and you have to decide whether you go to your uh, sporting activity or the youth group activity or church activity. Well, that's sacrificing an activity for the church, for God. Right. So, so you're saying, saying sometimes, sometimes you have to give up popularity with your children. <laughs> you, you start thinking about it. There are things that we give up for the Lord. And again, we're not patting ourselves on the back. But, but don't miss the value of, of a whole devotion to God. How did Jesus say we're supposed to love the Lord? Or your heart? Or your soul? With all your strength, with all your mind, it and that's that's just some things he mentioned. Do you think there's anything that God does not expect us to love Him with if He's given it to us? If you've got it, love Him with it. Use it for His glory and His good. That's that's the idea of loving God and worshiping God. We're talking about a relationship that we have with the one who is responsible for the universe. And the universe, since we're so small, we tend to think of the universe as the totality of all that exists. Is there anything that exists outside of this universe? And the answer to that is, duh. There's the entire spiritual realm that if we knew the vastness of that realm and that power, the physical universe in our minds would be nothing. That's 
That's the God who said, I want to have a relationship with you. And I know the word relationship sounds sometimes cliche, but, but that's the reality of it. He wants to relate to Marty Kessler. Me, he wants to get down on my level in my sinfulness in my, my flesh, all this that I'm trying to fight and get rid of, he's putting up with graciously. And he's helping me with because he made me in his image and he's seeing me come. And that's, that's the way it is with you and me. So, yeah, we gather for worship. We, we think or not, but, but we're not stopping our adoration of God when we leave this place. And I think in Samuel's day, it's, it's, it's always what God's wanted. He's never wanted, well, I just want you to be this dedicated here uh, in the days of the patriarchs and this dedicated when I give you the law and this dedicated if you're a Gentile while the Jews have the law and this dedicated when you become a Christian. It's always been the same. Wholehearted devotion because he's, he's all there is. Uh, Paul. Also introduced the idea that Something is holy and valuable in God's eyes if he makes it that. So if he has set apart a time, a specific time, for the church to gather, which we are commanded, we see it in Corinthians, we see it in plenty of places, that time is, even though we can worship on our own during the week to do the best that we can, it's still filthy rags before the Lord. It's not necessarily set apart by God in the same way that our corporate worship is. Now, there should be a consistency in our attitude and our faith and our all that. I'm not saying there should be a difference, but I'm also saying let's not put it on the same level either. It's not the same thing. We have specific requirements and specific commands on how we're supposed to conduct worship. And that time is set apart by God. So I don't think it's all the same even though there are similarities. How, how do you, this is kind of a dumb question, but I'm just trying to make a point. How do you get healthy? If I, if I go to the store and buy some broccoli and eat that broccoli, how soon will I be healthy after I eat that broccoli? If I go down to the gym and I exercise, how soon will I be healthy after I have exercised? How do you get healthy? It, it's a long term. You've got to be in it. You've got to eat healthy how often? Just before the ice cream. Oh, man. You've got to eat healthy all the time. It's got to be a commitment. You have to get exercise all the time. Sleep, you got to sleep. You got to sleep on a regular. There's so many things required of us to, to be healthy, but it's all required over time. There's no way we can have faith except over time. It is a time commitment. And within that time, things have to be done. Pursuit of God has to be made. What is it that the Hebrew writer says? Those who diligently seek him. Those are the ones he rewards. So it, it's a relationship, and it's the same in any relationship. You want to be a good friend? Well, be a friend. Do things that friends do. You want to have a, uh, a wife? You got a wife <laughs> or a husband? Do the things 
that a wife or a husband should do for that wife or that husband. That's, that's the way it works, and you do it all the time. You know, well, I was a good husband last week. Hey, so what are you asking for? Eh? <laughs> you don't do that. <laughs> we never even think that way. Uh, Robert? I mean, I don't know if you remember, like, I'm sure everybody remembers the WWJD bracelets. Yeah. That's just a reminder that we need to be thinking of God or Jesus every second, every minute of the day. Everything we do should be God-included. Right. You, know, you can't make a step without consulting God, <clears throat> just, you know, depending on what that is. Right. And a danger that we have sometimes, we, we think about God. Well, how would, how would Jesus do? For instance, the Lord's Supper. How do you do the Lord's Supper right? What are the elements to doing the Lord's Supper right? What, when do we do it? We, we do it on the first day of the week. Why? That, that's what we see in the scripture. They, they met on the first day of the week. They observed the Lord's Supper. What else? Going to do the Lord's Supper right? What are we going to do? What do you got to have? You got to have some unleavened bread. Okay, so, so not bread that's, that's leavened, not, not the kind that looks great to us, but a, a cracker. The, the one Deuteronomy called the bread of affliction. What else do you have to have? Fruit of the vine. You got to have some grape juice. Not wine, because wine had yeast in it to make wine. You, you can't do that because you can't have any yeast in, in the Passover. So you've got. Fruit of the vine, you got the grape juice. Now, uh, what do you think about when, when you do it, when you eat it, when you drink it? You think about Jesus' sacrifice. That's what the scriptures teach us to do. So we get all those things, we read all that, we know all that, and we do that. Okay, now, it's done. We've done it. And, and we can get into a mindset where we think, okay, now I've, I've done that, it's over with, got that handled. It's like, no. No, the whole point of the Lord's Supper is to do what? To remember. To remember. And, and you don't remember and then walk away and forget. I mean, I, I, we do, but, but the point is that that remembrance changes the way you think. It changes the way you live. It changes the way you behave. It changes the way you use your time. It changes the way you raise your children. It changes the decisions you make in life. That's what that remembrance does. You don't remember it and think you're doing great because you spent an hour on Sunday with the church and now you go and life is just like anybody else's life. No. That's why we're having this discussion about, about worship. In a way of life in which not only that when we walk away, but it's a life we're dedicated to live. You know, we don't just do this right now on Sunday morning and walk away and go live as the world. It changes our life, it directs our life, it has purpose in our life when the world can't give you those things. Absolutely. So Jonathan's going to attack the garrison. And what's he say to his armor bearer? We're going to see if the Lord is going to turn them over to us today. That was Jonathan's mindset. Was he worshiping as he was going to war? Well, there's a sense in which he was. His relationship with God was, was there. It impacted how he thought about his approach to the Philistines. What about Saul when Samuel said, wait till I come and offer up that sacrifice? What did Saul do? He got panicked. He got scared. And he allowed his fear to change the way he behaved. Yeah. See, 
This is all really old stuff. I know we don't do that today. We don't allow fear to change the way we behave in the world, do we? And yet I look at Saul and I think, what a goober. Oh, better look in the mirror. Don? hit the nail on the head when you said, <clears throat> I think we can get in trouble when we start thinking, well, we, we came in here together and, and we did everything right. And so I think I'm going to make it because I'm doing everything right, you know, right. in this worship, in, this, in, in our gathering. And so to answer that part, and how was it similar to worship today, back then, you know, in Romans it says that the law came in so that transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that in sin reigned death, so even though grace would reign through righteousness through eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That law to them, those people like us today, we, they should have known all those laws, they weren't conforming to them all perfectly. It should have driven them to something else to cry out to the Lord to say, I need mercy somewhere, somehow. I don't think it actually says that particularly, except in the Psalms and different places it does. But there's so many laws to do. I mean, they, I mean, I, I, sometimes I feel sorry for the Pharisees, and so to speak, because it's like, well, the law did say if you'd worked on there, you need to be stoned to death. You know, like, I get why they said some of that stuff. You know, and that, they had to, they had to make the, they had to judge that and make sure that the punishments were carried out to whatever. You know, I, I, sometimes I get that, but I, I know that they weren't doing that right, quite right. I know there's some other issues to that. But anyway, how was it similar today? was that they should have known, those people that, man, look at all these laws. I am not living up to it. Well, if we turn to the New Testament, look at Christ's law and put it up just as a law, wow, we're in the same boat. We don't, we don't follow those. And so we cry out to the Lord, be merciful to him. That's why I love 1 John 1, 6 through 10. You know? Yes. I know we talk about that a lot. Now, stay there in Romans and go to chapter 13. Because this... It comes down to this, what Paul's writing to the church in Rome about. And, and this is where Saul went wrong. This is where Samuel went right. This is where Jonathan went right. This is where David would, will go right in, in this right here. And as before I read this, let me offer up this, this illustration and talked about marriage a little bit ago. Sometimes in, in a marriage, you, you're not sure what you're doing. Well, some people, I know all of us have it down. But some people don't always know what they're doing in a marriage. And so what you need to do sometimes is go to someone who can counsel you. Oh, son, oh, daughter, here's, here's what you need to do to be a good husband, to be a good wife. You need to do these things right here. You need to pay attention to these things. And so you get your list of things to do to be a good husband, and you go home and you do those. Okay, boom, 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 I've done this. I've, I've showed her affection. I've provided for her. I've done this. Done. Okay, my duty as a husband is done. And you miss the whole point of what doing all those things is about. Eventually, you get to the point that I think Paul's talking about here in Romans where you don't do those things because somebody gave you a list. You do those things because you know that's good for her. That's good for him. This is, this is beneficial to them and I care so much about them that I want to automatically do those things without having a list in front of me, if you will. Now, Romans 13 says this, verse 8. Owe no man anything except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. What's that mean? Verse 9, for this, 
You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it's summed up in this thing. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What's that mean? What's he saying? These acts against them. Right. If you love your neighbor as you love yourself, I mean, unless you want to kill yourself, right. Right. you're not. It just covers everything. Right. So, and he doesn't say, here's the list of things to do and not to do. He says, love your neighbor. But how did they start out? What did God give the Israelites as soon as they came out of Egypt? He gave them a list of commandments. Here's the Ten Commandments because you guys are so, you don't know anything about having a relationship with me. But here's, this list will tell you something about me. And this will tell you something about how I value you and how you're supposed to value each other. And you start thinking about those things and doing those things and living those things. And you realize, oh, this is in keeping with the Ten Commandments or it's not. I still hear my mom's voice. Marty Kessler, you knew better than that. Well, you never told me specifically this, but I had enough sense to know, yeah, she's right, because everything she's taught me guided me into thinking a certain way, and that's what this is all about, thinking a certain way, drawing near to God, and if we draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. It doesn't say keep your list of things God gave you to do. It said draw near to the Lord. Sometimes it has to start with a list, just like in counseling. You have to lay it out. You have to make it simple. Here's what you do, son. Here's what you do, daughter. You want to be a good wife? You want to be a good husband? You want to be a good parent? Here's, what, here's some things you need to do. You need to make sure these things happen. And then you start living those things out, and you find out that works. That works. As you draw near to God, your conscience becomes more like him. And you know, we, we serve him. We serve ourselves a living sacrifice. You know, right. The second... Counselor idea. Why do you go to a counselor in the first place? You want to preserve something that's valuable. Man, this, this isn't going right. We need to see a counselor. Don't ever be ashamed to go see a counselor about something you're having trouble with. If your car was making a noise, are you going to say, well, it'll go away. <clears throat> yeah, it'll go away. Go away to the junkyard. But you better take that car to a mechanic. If you walk in your house and smell gas, you better call somebody. Now, I'm talking about natural gas. Well, I guess it's all natural gas. <laughs> I, I didn't mean for that. Anyway, I didn't mean for that to get out. <laughs> it just gets deeper and deeper. You know what I'm saying? You got an issue, you need to call somebody. <clears throat> but then you realize that the things a counselor tells you to do it's not just a list of stuff that's a responsibility for you or a requirement for you. This is all about how to, how to love people the right way. And that's what God's been doing all through history is trying to teach us how to love him the right way and teach us how to love one another the right way. That's all it's ever been about. There's no more to it than that. It's just that simple. That's why Jesus could say simply, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body. To love your neighbor as yourself. This is the law and the prophets. Everything the law said, everything the prophets said, this is what it's all about. Caring about me and caring about one another. That's it. So. 
slaves. So they were not attuned to God. So he created laws as a stepping stone to go from nothing to honoring him. Right. And, and when you have children and you hand them a coloring book, what do you tell them? Stay inside the lines. That those lines are there for a reason. But you don't want them to live their whole lives thinking, I can never do anything wrong. I can never get outside the lines. Now what do we say sometimes that helps improve things? you got to think how? Outside the box. There's, there's different ways to approaching things, but initially you have to learn to respect that there are boundaries. And once you know what the boundaries are and those boundaries are real and you don't cross those boundaries without paying for it, then you understand, okay, here are the boundaries. Now we can be creative over here. This is where we've got freedom to be creative and to think outside the box, so to speak. But you don't think outside the box, outside the boundaries. You stay within the boundaries. But you learn to live a, a fruitful life, a, a fulfilled life. Paul, you had your hand up a while ago? Talking about how much God loves us, I thought of another, and I don't know if anybody's mentioned it or not, but another answer to how worship is similar then and now is that one of the main purposes is for our own edification, that we edify each other, that we uplift each other. And that doesn't exemplify how much God loves us. You know, we always think of worship as we're going to worship God, and we should. It's also to lift each other up. Yes, it is. And I'm grateful for that every time I get together. Um, a couple weeks ago, we were away on Wednesday night. You miss a Wednesday night. I, I really, I'm not trying to be legalistic or anything, but I feel sorry for folks who don't come on Wednesday because they're, they're missing it. I feel sorry for folks who don't come back on Sunday. There's something, there's always something here is what I'm saying. And I, and I don't want anybody to be legalistic about this, but, but there's just always something here. Boy, we got a lot farther in the text today, didn't we? My apology for that, but I hope this has been good discussion. Thank you. Lord bless you.